I was with some other pastors uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about special music, and we were talking about testimony time, and one of them asked me if we have testimony time on Sunday morning. I said, yeah, it's called special music. Um, and uh, certainly that is the truth, That, uh, and I'm thankful for those that share special music and share their gifts and talents to talk about what the Lord has done in their life and to encourage us to follow as well. And so thank you to the Bailey family uh, for doing that this morning. Well, I hope that you're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, I, I was thinking this week, um, I, I don't know why this was especially impressed upon me this week, but I, Sunday is the day my week revolves around. And some of you are sitting there going, uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but you're a pastor. Yes, Sunday is the, the day your week revolves around. But it's not just that. Um, it's because I get an opportunity to come and to worship the Lord, my Savior, who cleansed me from all of my wrongdoing and allowed me to have a relationship with him. And I get to hear from his word. But here's the thing. I not only get to do that on Sunday. I can do that any day of the week. The thing that's special about Sunday is I get to do it with you. That I get to do it with my brothers and my sisters. That I get to worship together with you. That I get to hear your voices as we praise together. That I get to share the word and, and, and have the word speak to us as a, as a community. Not just as individuals. And there's something special about that. And I pray that you look forward to that as well. I pray that you're doing what we talked about at the beginning of the year. That you're, throughout the week, you are praying for Sunday morning. That you're praying that God would work in your heart to prepare you to be ready for it. So that you could worship well. Worship with clean hands and a clean heart. This holy God that we serve. This God that loved us so much first. Pray that you're praying that God would open your heart to the word that you would be able to hear it and hear it well this morning. Um, and so, that being said, if you uh, have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to 1 John with me this morning. We are starting a new sermon series, and so we'll be starting in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. But we're starting a new sermon series, and we've been looking this uh, the beginning of this year at what it means to be a healthy believer. And we started uh, these last few weeks looking at salvation and laying a foundation for that because none of the other things that we're going to talk about for the next several weeks mean a whole lot if you don't understand salvation and you haven't accepted Christ into your heart. That is the basis for everything else, everything else that we do. And so we talked about that, and we, we went through that together, and now we, we join up with our brother John here in this first letter of his to look at what is it in our lives that give evidence of what Christ has already done in us? What are the things that we can look at in our own lives? What are the things that we can look at even in other people's lives and say, God has done something in them, God has done something in me? So that we may have assurance of our salvation. So we may be able to say, yes, God is working. He is changing me. He is working through me. It's not works-based. It's not somehow that we're doing these things so that we may gain further grace or that we may gain salvation. But it's looking at these things to say, yes, this is healthy. This is good. And, that, and, and that's the, the title of this sermon series is Examine Yourself, First John. Sorry, I, I went back a little bit on on our guy back there but it's examine yourself because we all need checkups don't we we all need to go to the doctor whether we like it or not once in a while and say okay where am i at so that we can remain healthy so that we can get healthier and that's what 
we want to do as we look at the Word of God and specifically 1 John this morning as we do that for the next several weeks. So if you would, um, if you have, hopefully by now you found 1 John, if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning, then we will do that together. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which you have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you this morning and, and we gather together as family. And Lord, we, we ask you this morning to open our ears and to open our hearts as we hear the words that you put into the the pen of our brother John, that we would hear them well, that we would understand how they apply to us, that we would allow them to examine us, both for conviction and for encouragement. And Lord, that we would leave changed. Lord, I was praying with a brother this morning, Lord, that every time we see in the word of God, someone meet you in your glory, that they are changed, whether it be Abraham or Moses or Isaiah or John himself, Lord, that they meet you and they see you and they are different from there on out. Father, we pray for the same thing. Lord, we want to see you this morning. We want to know you this morning so that we too can be different, so that we can be light to the world. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak because we are listening. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we dig too far into the book of 1 John, we need to have a little bit of context. And uh, you've probably grown a little accustomed to this as we've done other books and other studies together on Sunday morning. But to give you a, just a little bit of context, we're not going to dig too far here. But uh, first, the writer. Who's the writer of 1 John? Well, critics and, and scholars pretty much agree on this one. This one isn't debated. The writer is the Apostle John. Okay, We see so much correlation between the Gospel of John and the way that he writes that, that that's pretty well undisputed. Where is the location? The location is probably Ephesus. That's where John is when he's writing this book. He later in his life was an overseer of many of the churches in that area. Um, and as we look at 1 John as being a letter written to churches um, so that he may protect them, so that he may encourage them, we see that um, leadership, we see that encouragement um, and oversight coming from him. And, uh, and so Ephesus makes sense here. Uh, when, was, when was it written? What was the date? It was probably the late first century, so in the 90s possibly, A.D., um, and that gives um, some credence to who he wrote to, who was the audience. The audience was the church under attack. Now let me explain here. It probably wouldn't surprise most of you to know that the church in the first century was under physical persecution. They were under threat, and certainly that was a part of, of what we mean here by the church of under, under attack, but what was also happening 
um, through the late first century and into the second, through, all the way through the fifth century, was that there was a persistent threat from false teachers, specifically a group called the Gnostics. And we won't go into great detail this morning about them, but they were teaching a false gospel. They were teaching something that was untrue, and they were causing real believers to walk away from the church and to be distracted. And they were worrying other believers. They were scaring uh, the church into thinking that somehow they had missed the boat on salvation, that somehow they had misunderstood what Jesus Christ and what God was saying. And so they began to freak out a little bit. And John writes to this, this church, the early church, to say, hey, same message. Okay, what we taught you is what's true. Hold on to that. I am writing you, and we're going to get to this just in a second as we talk about the reason and the purposes of the book of 1 John. But he says, I'm writing you so that you will have assurance, so that you'll be solid in your faith. And so he comes along and he encourages it. So this book is written to a church under attack, under a church that is just they're uncertain of things. And they need someone to come alongside and solidify them. They need someone to tell them if they're healthy or not. They need someone to say, hey, you got it, or hey, we need to make some adjustments here. So that's part of the context. Then we look at the purpose. Why did John write this? Well, it's interesting, probably more than any other book, John specifically gives us some reasons as to why he wrote it. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says that he writes this letter that we, the reader, might have fellowship. And that, we're, and that fellowship is not just with other believers, though that is certainly a theme throughout the book of 1 John as we look at how we are to love one another, but that fellowship is also with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Father, and we'll get into that more this morning. Then in chapter 1, verse 4, he says that he writes that we may have joy, that we may have joy complete, fulfilled. Then he says there in chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, that he writes that we may not sin. Again, this is a church under attack. They are a church that is distracted and that is going every direction because of false teachers in their midst. And he says, I am writing to you so that you may not sin, so that you may stay on the right path. Then in chapter 2, verse 26, he says that he is writing that we may overcome. Okay, they're being attacked, they're being persecuted, the world is there, and we talked last week about how sin is always waiting to trip us up, and John says, I am writing to you that you may overcome that, that you may be victorious. And then lastly, number five, in chapter five, verse 13, John says that he is writing that we may have assurance, that we may know that we have eternal life. And that may be the one that I just, it excites me. Because I don't know about you, but in my life, I can testify that there were times in my life that I questioned my faith, that I questioned whether maybe I had missed the boat on this whole salvation. And I doubted whether the things that I had done in my life were things that a Christian could do, and somehow had I screwed up. But John writes this book, and this book has been vital in my life to look at and to say, no, I have assurance that Christ did something in me. I have assurance and I can have security in the hand of Jesus Christ that I no longer have to worry, that I no longer have to fret, that I no longer have to be afraid. 
but that I can stand boldly on the gospel and say, I am his and he is mine. And so far and so far it will be forevermore. It will be forevermore. This is a book of encouragement. Who doesn't want fellowship? Who doesn't want joy? Who doesn't want to not sin anymore? Who doesn't want to be victorious? Who doesn't want to have that assurance? This is a book of encouragement. This is a book that comes alongside us as a reader and says, God loves you and he has something special for you. And this is what it looks like to be with him and to have him in you. Not only, though, is it a book of encouragement, but it is also written a little differently. It's written a little differently. And I, I want to share this point with you because it's going to help you to understand why we're going to study this book in the way that we are. This book is written more like a song than it is an essay. Now, I don't mean by that that it is actually a song. It's not meant to be put to music or anything like that. But let me explain what I mean by that. When you look at the letters of Paul, they are written by a very scholared man. They're written by a very educated man. And so because of the way that Paul thinks and the way that Paul was educated, Paul writes in a very distinct way where he usually has a thesis or a main point, And then he lays out the evidence for that in a very orderly and linear fashion so that one truth builds upon the previous truth. It's kind of like math, where if you don't learn to add and subtract, then division and multiplication are probably going to be a little difficult. And if you don't learn that, then algebra is pretty much out of the question. All right? Um, for me, that's about as far as we got. Okay, I don't even, we're not even going to talk about calculus. But anyway, they learn, they, it's one truth upon the other, and Paul writes that same way. And so for some of us, that's very clear. It's easy for us to understand. We go, okay, I get it, and we can read that way. John doesn't write that way. John introduces a theme, John introduces a theme, and then he continually goes back to that theme. It's kind of like a song. You have a verse, the first verse that introduces some themes and drives the song forward, the story forward, and then you have a chorus that repeats the main themes of the song. And then you have another verse that pushes the song a little farther, and then a chorus that repeats the, repeats the main themes over again. And that's what John does. John introduces a theme, and then he continually goes back to it and repeats it over and over throughout the book. And so that's how we're going to study 1 John over the next few weeks. We're going to come to a theme. Um, for example, the next week, the first theme that we run into in this first chapter is that we are to walk in the light. And then we're going to take that walk in the light, and we're going to trace it all the way through the book. Okay, we're going we're gonna to see every time he repeats that and allow that to soak into us. And for some of you, I hope, I hope that all of you read this through, uh, throughout the time that we're together. It won't take you very long to read it in one setting. I hope that you'll do that because what you're going to see is, for some of you, this makes more sense than the way that Paul writes. You're going to appreciate that repetition. You're going to appreciate the way that the flow of the book, um, and, and you're going to gain a lot out of it. And so uh, I, I appreciate that God in his wisdom puts books like this in there along with the writings of Paul to allow those of us that have different mind flows to be able to follow along and, and to, to glean things. And so that little bit to give you an idea of why we're studying it the way we're studying it. All right, all of that, all of that to say this. Let's start with the prologue this morning. Let's start with the beginning. Julie's up here laughing because it's like, you know, we've already had a sermon and now we're going to have another one. Okay, but here, let's get to our passage this morning. John starts out the prologue. He starts out uh, his, his letter to the churches laying a foundation. And interestingly enough, that foundation is about a message. 
It's about a message, and it's the message of the gospel. Because John, just like what we have done, John, John is saying, this is the starting point. This is what you must grasp first. And then if you grasp this, then everything that follows will fall into place. And so let's look at this message that he's talking about. He, first, he says, that which was from the beginning. This is not a new message, John is saying. And here's the interesting thing. There are two ways to look at this This. Uh, phrase that which was from the beginning first we can look at it much the same way that John starts out his gospel by saying in the beginning was the word okay it's the idea that the the redemption of man through the suffering of the son of God was not some mystery to God it was not plan b but rather it was from the beginning God knew what he was doing he didn't trip and fall one day and go, oh, I need to fix that, okay? He said, this is what's going to happen. And so the gospel that we preach, we see it foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament over and over again that this is what I'm going to do. I am going to do an amazing act, and I'm going to redeem my creation. I'm going to make all things whole again. That's mind-blowing to me. That before time, God knew what he was going to do, and he accomplished it. So first we see it from that standpoint. But then we turn it a little bit, and we see another thing as well. When he says that which from the beginning, John is also speaking of the fact that this is the same gospel that he heard at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. You'll remember John was an apostle. He was one of the first disciples. He was with Jesus all the time. He heard the very teaching of, this, of God in flesh. And John is saying this morning to his reader, I know what was from the beginning. I know what Jesus wanted us to know. And the message that I am delivering to you now, the message that you have faith in now, is the same message, it's the same gospel that he had then. And for us, that should be encouraging. Because not only is this not a new message, but this is an unchanging message despite all who would challenge it. The first century church had false teachers who were speaking into their life and saying, no, that's not right, you shouldn't do that, that's an old way of thinking, that's a misinterpretation. And people were, and the church was getting confused, and John saying, no, this is the same gospel. Let's stick to the basics. Let's stand on the foundation. And even today, us as a church, us as believers, are constantly challenged by those on the outside who would say, no, that's an old way of thinking. You're misinterpreting. You're, you're taking that the wrong way. Surely God doesn't want you to think that way or do that thing. And we say, no, this is the word of God, and we will stand upon the gospel, and we will not move. Amen. We will not move. And that is amazing for us because there is very little in this life that is consistent. There is very little in this life that is unchanging. There is very little in this life that we can hold on to and put full trust in. We put full trust in chairs every day, but I hate to tell you, there are chairs that break out from underneath you to make you worry about when you go to lunch, okay? But God is always there. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. We will never misplace our trust in him. 
So this message is from the beginning. But John says, not only is this message from the beginning, but this is a message that I have witnessed. He says there going on, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and have touched. John's saying this isn't a myth. It is real. By seeing and hearing and touching, John is uh, appealing to the universal standards of reality. Of how we say this is, this is tangible. It's interesting that that word touched there is only used two other or it's only used one other time in the in the whole New Testament. And it is used in Luke chapter 24 verse 39 when Jesus invites the disciples to touch the wounds in his hands and touch the hole in his side. Jesus is inviting them saying, I am no ghost. I am no spirit. I am no hallucination. I am real. I rose from the dead just like I said I would. Come and have evidence for yourself. And John is appealing to that through this verse by saying, I touched him. He rose from the dead. And I stand here as a witness to you of that. This message is from the beginning. This message is not a myth. It is real. And this message is not just a mental exercise. For so many believers this morning across this United States, Christianity is just some mental gymnastics that we do to satisfy ourselves. But we too can be true witnesses because we too hear from him through his word and through his spirit. We too have seen Christ and what he has done in our lives and in the lives of others. We saw that yesterday as we celebrated the life of Sharon. And we saw and, and remembered what God had done through her life. And we also can touch him and feel his presence as we open ourselves up to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we have a relationship with Him and we know Him and through that we too are true witnesses of this message that has come from the beginning. So what is this message? This message is life. John goes on here and he says, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Life has been made known to us. I was thinking about this this passage this week, and uh, I was struck as I was thinking about this passage and then watching another television show how zombies are everywhere. Have you noticed that? Like, I was watching a television show that has nothing to do with zombies, and in the middle of a season, there's an episode about Confederate zombies. And I was like, what is happening here? But it's in like half the movies that we watch and it's in like like just in the middle of nowhere they pop up. You're watching a, a comedy romance thing and all of a sudden there's a zombie and you're like, what did that come from? But here's the thing with zombies. Zombies are dead, right? But they look alive. Like they walk around, they run, they jump, they even work together to destroy the world. Like they have a purpose. But they're not alive. They're dead. They are running after an internal compass that is out of whack. You know how I know that? Because zombies eat their friends. Friends don't eat friends. If they were cosmic, if they were alive, they wouldn't do that. But they're not. They're dead. And the Bible tells us that we're dead too. We look alive, 
We breathe. We have relationships with people, sort of, sometimes. We run. We walk. Some of us slower than others. We do all of the things that say you're alive, and we do all of them so that we may satisfy an internal compass that's out of whack. We do them to satisfy things inside of us that are out of kilter. How do I know that? Because we sin against a God that desires what's best for us. Because we do things that hurt us. People don't do things that hurt them. And yet we continue to do it over and over again. We are dead and we are slaves to our compulsions, to our inner desires. But John says life has been made known to us and Jesus is that life. John 17.3 says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you want to live do you want to be free? We talked about the last few weeks, we've talked about sin has you under its penalty and under its power. Do you want to live and have life abundantly and know joy and freedom to be able to live the way that God created you? Then you must know Christ. And John is saying here in this, in this prologue, this message has been from the beginning, I'm a witness to it, that life has appeared to us today. And we proclaim it, which is our next thing. It says, we proclaim to you the eternal life. And then he goes on to say, that which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship. See, the apostles, the apostles did not just hold on to this revelation. This message has come that there's life abundant, that you can do all of these things. And you can live this life of freedom. And they heard it from Jesus himself. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him, and they, but they didn't just keep it to themselves. It wasn't like after the day of Pentecost that Peter looked at John and said, hey, you want to go fishing? Like, I think I got some root beers in the truck. I heard they're biting down at the Dead Sea. Let's go. No, they stood in the square among people that had just crucified Christ, and they said, here is the message of life. And 3,000 people got saved. The apostles did not hold on to the revelation. Rather, they proclaimed it. Why did they proclaim it? They proclaimed it so that we could have fellowship. They proclaimed it so that we could have fellowship. What does that fellowship look like? Well, he goes on. He says that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, this message is from the beginning. This message is, is spoken by true witnesses who have heard it, who have seen it, who have touched it. This message is a message of life and life eternal. And we proclaim it to you so that you might have fellowship. When we come alive, we can have fellowship with one another. Dead people don't make friends with other dead people. It may be superficial, but it, it's not. there's no depth to it. But when we are alive, we can have relationships that are deep and meaningful and eternal. I think I've told you before, but there have been times in my travels when I have had deeper conversations and more meaningful relationships with a believer in one hour on a plane 
than I've had with lost people in my family who I've known since my birth. It's sad, but it's true. When we are believers, we have this deep and intimate fellowship with one another because we have been bought and we have been brought to life. And so we can experience things in a new way. Not only do we have this fellowship with other believers, but John argues from the lesser to the greater here. Having fellowship with other believers is great. It's fantastic. But having fellowship with God is something else entirely. It is on a whole nother level. He says that we proclaim it so that you may join our fellowship. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We now not only enter into a fellowship, into a relationship with each other, but we enter into a relationship with the God of all heaven and earth. I hope, I pray that it blows your mind that you can have friendship with God. With the one who created everything. The one who loves you so much that he sacrificed it all for you. That you can be friends with him. This all-powerful, all-knowing God. And with his son, Jesus Christ. The son and the father and the spirit. That is a great honor for us as believers to know that fellowship. John concludes his prologue, he concludes his introduction with this. He says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When we have perfect fellowship, joy follows. When we have perfect fellowship, joy follows. Perfect fellowship with the Lord and perfect fellowship with others, our joy is not soon behind us. John 15, 8, 11, I want to take you back there just for a moment. You can turn if you would like, or or you can just follow along. But Jesus kind of opens this up for us, what John means here when he says that that he's writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John says, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, by this my Father is glorified. Okay, let me stop there for a moment. What have we said is the purpose of the church to glorify God? Okay? So we should listen here. We should take note here. Because if we say that the purpose of God or the purpose of the church is to glorify God, Jesus is about to tell us how this happens. So he says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. What he means there is that we make other disciples. That we proclaim this message that John is talking about. So we glorify God, the Father, by bearing much fruit. And then, but then he goes on in verse 9. He says, and the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, that kind of seems odd at first. It kind of seems out of context with the rest of that passage until you back up to verse 4 where Jesus has already explained what it means to abide. He says there in verse 4 of chapter 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is saying, To glorify God, which is the purpose of the church, you must bear much fruit. You must make disciples. The way that you do that, the way that you bear fruit, is you abide in me. Your life is in me. You get your power from me. Well, how do we abide, though? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in him. 
So if we desire to glorify God, which is the purpose of the church, then we must make disciples. We must go out and proclaim this message that we have been given. In order to make disciples and bear fruit, we must abide in Christ and gain our power from him. In order to abide in Christ, we must follow his commandments. How do we follow his commandments? That is unspoken, but it's assumed that we know his word. We listen. Now, to bring it full circle, verse 11 of chapter 15 of John, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now go back to what John says, and we write these things so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, I'm proclaiming this message to you, this message of life and life eternal, that you don't have to be under the penalty of sin anymore. You don't have to be under the power of sin anymore. Why am I proclaiming that? So that my joy may be complete, so that I may abide in him, so that I may experience his love, so that I may be glorified in him. And through those things, I may know joy complete and joy full. But the thing is that that hour there isn't just about John. It is an inclusive hour. It is an inclusive hour that include, that says that all of us experience this joy complete when we do these things. John wraps up this, wraps up this prologue by saying, if you grab a hold of this message and you proclaim it the way that we have, the way that we have modeled for you. Not only will you have fellowship, but your joy will be complete. And that's what he desires for us. Not only what John desires, but what the Lord desires. That your joy be complete. Which leads me to this last question. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? This is the gift of God. It's eternal life. It's fellowship. It's joy. It's abundant life. It's assurance of all of those things. But do you want it? Do you want it? Are you ready to pursue it? It's not something that's just going to happen. Though at times God gives grace and, and allows certain things to progress. But Paul tells us to run hard the race set before us. It takes work, it takes diligence, it takes focus. Last question, are you ready to be healthy? I think all of us know individuals, and maybe we're into these individuals ourselves, but they go to the doctor and the doctor says, look, this is what's happening in you, but if you will do X, Y, Z, you will be healthy. You will experience a fuller life. And yet that person doesn't follow those directions. Maybe they don't out and outright rebel, but they just choose to ignore those things, and so they do nothing. And then what happens? Whatever disease it is, whatever symptoms are going on, whatever is occurring in their body begins to overtake them, and they are consigned to a fate, whether that be the loss of a limb or a toe, or whether it be the loss of life abundance, um, to the fullest, or whether it's the loss of their life totally. By choosing to, to ignore the problem, by choosing that they don't really aren't really worried about being fully healthy, they are making a choice for much worse. So too, the Word of God stands before you this morning, stands before me this morning, and calls out to us saying, 
This is how to be healthy. This is how to pursue me and to know me. This is how to have life in abundance and to have joy complete. And my question to you this morning is, do you want those things? Do you want to be healthy? Or will you this morning walk away from it and in so doing, choose something else? Choosing life that is not all that God would have it to be. For those of you that have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, choosing a fate much worse than you could imagine. For those of us that are believers, choosing not to follow this God that has done so much for us, and in doing so, barely scraping by. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to look back and, and God's going to show us some of what some of what was there for us that we didn't take advantage of and our hearts are going to break because we're going to realize what he really had in store for us and what could have been. Do you want to be healthy this morning? Do you want to pursue him? Do you want to experience these things that John is talking about this morning? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response this morning. If you're not a believer here this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, then I invite you this morning. Jesus Christ offers you life. He offers you joy. He offers you freedom. And all you have to do is accept the gift that he has given you. He has paid the penalty for your mistakes. If you will, if you will claim that, if you will say, yes, I understand that I've made mistakes. Father, please forgive me. And I will follow you for the rest of my days. If you will have a conversation like that with the Lord, he will accept you and he will save you this morning. I pray that you will do that. I pray that you'll come and talk to one of us, either me or, or one of the guys, on, pull one of the guys off stage or pull someone else out of the crowd and we will have that conversation with you. If not today, then I pray that the Lord will be working on your heart this week. But know that you're not promised that. None of us are pray that if you're a believer here this morning that you would ask God to examine you. That you would open yourself up and say, Lord, where am I at with you? Am I healthy? Am I following you? Or what? where would you have me to change? What would you have me to do? Pray that though this morning, the, the thing that I pray against is that you would just ignore it all and walk out of here like nothing happened this morning. That would break. That would break my heart. So as we do a time of response, you respond this morning the way that God leads you. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we are so incredibly thankful for what you have done through this message. This message of eternal life that you have given us. That you had, had men and women who witnessed it and who proclaimed it. They didn't hold it in, but rather... They told everyone that would listen. And Lord, that through that ministry and ministry of many, many others, Lord, that you were able to get the gospel to us and that we were able to hear it and to know it. And for many of us in this room that we accepted it. And now we too know what it means to have life. We too know what it means to be free. We too know what it means to have joy. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that, that we would just be open to you. Lord, look inside my heart. Evaluate me this morning. 
Examine me this morning. Examine the hearts of your people this morning. Help us to be healthy. Help us to be able to live the life that you have put before us. The purpose that you have laid out before time. We pray this in your holy name.